2: Welcome, welcome. Happy Tuesday. I always say it's Happy Tuesday, not because it's Taco Tuesdays for some people, wherever you are in the country, but because John Zipper of the Commonwealth Club is here with us on Tuesdays. John, thanks so much for joining me.
0: Thanks for having me.
2: It's a uh, beautiful Tuesday in San Francisco. Um, In some sense, it's been lightly raining, and rain is always good. Did you know that uh, the governor of California has officially called off the severe drought that we were in?
0: Yes, uh, though it's just a matter of time before we slip into another one. We're reportedly going to have more of them, and they'll last longer. But uh, yes, for the moment, have a glass of water.
2: (laughs) Or I guess you could say restaurants are now serving you water rather than making you pay for it or just rejecting you when you ask for it. (laughs) I've had that happen. So hooray for uh, California for now. But still, I still think that people need to be mindful of water usage and protecting the environment anyway because, well, the president's not going to do it, (laughs) or at least not anymore. Right. Let's get today's show started. Today's program is brought to you by Pacific Fertility Center. When life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. John and I have been uh, bringing up you know, story that we didn't have enough background information to talk, or I should say make definitive statements about and that is the issue uh that's now being circulated widely the issue out of chechnya which there had been reports of the first concentration camp and actual gay men being rounded up and tortured um i was trying to do as much research as i possibly can there have been some credible sources out there who are saying it is verified but then I, I'll have to be open and honest. I'm still Facebook friends with a Russian activist by the name of Nikolai Alexeev, um, who ha- I think to my understanding is one of the Russian activists who had applied for gay parades in several uh, places in Russia, which the rumor is that, that may have ignited or provoked you know, anti-gay sentiments, especially in places like Chechnya. Um, so instead of like talking to, I think, you know, big organization like Avaz, which they're going to tell us they know this they because they have the relationships. And by the way, you can donate now to, you know, and I, I just I'm trying to go not go through that angle of of having an agenda, but talking to a journalist, a real journalist. I mean, not a blogger, but a journalist who actually <laughs> will call somebody or know some people or have, you know, when they say I have sources, you believe them. So that's what we're going to talk about today is just uh, do a little bit more fact finding. And I really want to get to the heart of, of just is it a rumor or is it actually happening? And I think that we can get to the bottom of it. So our guest today, um, very excited to have him on, is a true journalist, as I said. He's Brody Levesque. He's the chief political correspondent for the new civil rights movement. He also um, has contributed to uh, big organizations such as Reuters. He's uh, reported on, you know, D.C. or served as the Washington, D.C. Bureau Chief for LGBTQ Nation, which is a credible uh, source that we often use here on the Michelle Miao Show. So let's welcome Brody Levesque to the show. Brody, thanks so much for joining us.
1: Well, good morning to you, and how are you two?
2: We are fine because we can have a glass of water now, as we mentioned earlier. But <laughs> but for the most part, you know, I think uh, we're both trying to navigate through this presidency and in the world. And, and I think mm-hmm. what's m- more stressful is to find out that the rest of the world is also trying to <laughs> navigate through these, this American presidency. But we brought you on. I mean, I'm sure of it that you can comment on so many issues. But for today, I'd like to focus on what's happening in Chechnya. As I mentioned in yeah. the introduction, you know, there are reports that there, there, this is actually happening. The first concentration camp since the Holocaust. But it's it's specifically targeted against gay men in this area known as Chechnya. Let's start with just these reports. Um is it happening? I know that 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 question in itself yeah. you can go for for a few it, minutes, it, but yeah. It
1: actually, yeah, Warren. No, it actually is happening. Uh, the first reports came out of the Russian Federation uh, approximately a month ago, and it wasn't until the Russian opposition newspaper Novaya Gazeta and one of their journalists, Elena uh was able to talk to a human rights campaigner who was on the ground in the Chechen capital of Grozny, that we were first able to actually find out that these weren't just rumors, and this just wasn't, you know, a, a grouping of, uh, you know, anti-gay mythology being perpetrated, you know, from that region of the world, which has been known to occur. But this was actually the real deal. The uh, concentration camps aren't camps in a traditional sense. They're buildings that are owned and operated by the security services of the Chechnyan government uh, in the city of Grozny, which is the capital, and in the Chechnyan city of Argun. Uh, I should note for your listeners that Chechnya is a semi-autonomous region in the Russian Caucasus, which is in southern Russia. It does not directly answer to Moscow. However, its authoritarian leader, Ramazan Kadyarov, is known to be extremely or fiercely loyal uh, to Russian President Vladimir Putin. The initial reports were actually put out on Facebook and on the Russian-European version of Facebook, which is known as VK or Vukontag. Um At that point, Nova Gazeta was uh, reached out to by a human rights campaigner, Uh, with the story, along with reach out to uh, Tanya Lorchino, who is the Moscow chief of Human Rights Watch, and also there was a reach out to Peter Tatchell and the Peter Tatchell Foundation in London. The stories that were coming out seemed like they were a little unbelievable because they were so extreme. Granted, however, when you see what goes on in the Middle East with ISIS, particularly in the Mosul area, where they're throwing gay people off of buildings. It's not that big of a stretch. It should also be noted that that particular part of the Caucasus region is uh, predominantly Muslim in nature. And uh, as a direct result, uh, there are extremists within that particular area of Chechnya and neighboring Pakistan uh, that are a little bit of extremists. If you will remember your American city of Boston Uh, suffered a bombing during its marathon a few years ago by folks from the neighboring republic to Chechnya who are also Islamic and Islamic extremists. So this is kind of the elements of it. The difficult part for the American press, and I think also for the press worldwide, was trying to pin this down. And when the initial reports came out of Chechnya, the government of Chechnya spokesperson for Kadyrov, essentially said that these things could not be happened because of the fact that in Chechnya, these people don't exist. In other words, the government of Chechnya was actually denying it. But then the spokesperson for Kadyrov actually went one step further and said, and I'll quote, such persons do not exist in Chechnya, and even so, their families would then deal with them. Now, that, of course, is alluding to potential honor killings of LGBTQI persons, which has also occurred unfortunately in that region.
0: Brody, I'm I'm wondering, we've had, of course, uh, the United States, UK, Germany, other countries call on Russia to Mm -hmm. uh, do something here. Um, What what do we know about what Russia has said and what they likely would or wouldn't even bother doing?
1: Uh, The Russian government at this point um, has in a nod to statements made by the United States State Department, Mm -hmm. the Foreign Ministry, and Foreign Minister Boris Johnson in the UK, and the Government of Canada put together what they call an investigative committee, which more or less means nothing. Um, The part to the dynamic of this, as you know, is, is that the Russian Federation itself has been more or less persecuting uh, its gay citizenry, and it's, well, basically the entire LGBTQI community, um, and and stepped this up uh, with passage of what we refer to as the uh, gay propaganda law in 2013. However, the government, and and by that I mean the Russian president, uh, Vladimir Putin and his folks, really haven't done too much. Now, the other part of this, too, is that the, at least for the American government, Uh, Secretary Tillerson was actually in uh, Moscow with meetings uh, with the Russian foreign ministry and also with the Russian president. Um, He was being urged by uh, the American human rights campaigners and others across the globe to actually say something, and to the best of our knowledge, that did not occur. Again, I need to stress, Chechnya is not only a semi-autonomous region, but it's had its own problems with the Russian government. A lot of acts of terrorism, even within uh, the capital city of Russia, Moscow has had Chishnian, you know, basically backing. So this is, it's problematic at best. I don't know if that's the answer you were looking for, but that's the best one I can get.
0: Well, I mean, uh, that does get to kind of what was behind some of my question, which is that, you know, of course, uh, Vladimir Putin rose to power and cemented his, his authority, if you will, by waging mm-hmm. a very vicious war, uh in chechnya to uh you mm-hmm. know, uh defeat separatists um yep. it, it, they may not answer to moscow and everything but on the other hand in the russian system um if vladimir putin wanted to get rid of this guy he'd get rid of this guy if you know if he wanted someone else in there he'd get someone else in there i mean this is not in any way a, a contractual um uh you know parliamentary or whatever system um so but I, considering what we already know about how Russia has been dealing with uh, LGBTQI folks, uh, I certainly wouldn't expect them to do anything. I guess I'm kind of getting at, is there anything Mm -hmm. anyone could expect them to do about this, or if there's going to be any sort of change or assistance or whatever, would it have to come from
1: some other avenue? It would have to come from uh, from another avenue. The likelihood of... Uh, the government doing anything outside of paying lip service is quite frankly not realistic. Yeah.
0: Well, so tell us how much, I mean, when I first heard stories about this, and at first, the kind of, this came in two waves. One was the story of, you know, 100 uh, gay men had been uh, rounded up and arrested. And it was a couple mm-hmm. days later that we, that we started reading about the concentration camp uh, story. But, uh this the the russian paper newspaper novia gazeta my parents pronouncing that at all correct? Mm-hmm. That is, yeah that's correct. Um, again how can you be an independent paper in russia where you know putin has has you know over the past whatever many years specifically gone after all the independent media i mean how how trustworthy are they as a as a news source do you think?
1: They're extremely trustworthy. Uh they are the opposition newspaper and even with Putin's best efforts, Uh, he has not crossed into the territory that would be considered almost Soviet in nature in terms of a complete authoritarian rule. Now, that's not to say that he hasn't made significant strides in tilting the Russian Federation back towards a more Soviet-style society and way of governing, but he's not been completely... Uh, successful, and as a direct result, Nova Gazeta and a couple of the other independent outlets, still rem- they still maintain um, their ability to operate independently. Uh, this is a paper that has targeted uh, organized crime in the Russian Federation and in Chechnya itself, and as a direct result, uh, has had some of their journalists killed. As a uh, as a result of their coverage, so uh, they're completely credible.
0: Okay, and and the journalist who broke the story uh, in that paper, Elena Malishina. Milishina, Milishina, thank you. Uh, She's gone into hiding, correct? Why is that?
1: Uh, The reason she's gone into hiding and she's now actually going to be leaving the Russian Federation is because she has been directly threatened uh, by the clerics, along with the paper. We know that there was a special meeting held in Grozny on April 3rd by the leading uh, clerics, including Mufti Salai Ayat Nazif, who is essentially Chechnya's spiritual leader. And in that meeting, uh, Nazif basically said, and I'm quoting, Allah will punish those who have slandered the whole Chechnyan nation and Chechnya republic's clerics. There will be retribution. Now, that's not an idle threat. Uh, again, Novus... Uh, Gazeta has lost two or three of its journalists in the past to assassination and murder, uh, even in, the, in, in Moscow, where they're based. So the decision was made that Elena needed to go into hiding, and then, of course, it, she can't stay in Russia. So there are actually steps being taken at this point now to get her out. Uh, it's, it's not an idle threat. Now, uh, the publisher and the chief editor, Dmitry Muratov, Um, had an open letter that he published after the public statements, uh, and this was last week. And Muratov basically said, and I'm translating the Russian loosely here, that his journalists would continue investigating human rights abuses in Chechnya. Okay, this is the translation of what he said, and I'm quoting uh, editor Muratov. Mm -hmm. We did not insult, neither had we the slightest intention to insult, the Chechnyan people. He added, we urge the Russian authorities to do everything possible to prevent actions aimed at exciting hatred towards journalists who are doing their professional duty. Okay. Now, what's important to note is that one of the key advisors to Ramazan Kezirov, the Chechnyan leader, was present at that April third meeting. Adam uh, Scheinfeld, who is basically um, an internal member of his staff and, if you will, a chief advisor, this, for appearance' sake, means that the government is okay with the threats that the clerics were making. And again, it's not an idle threat. We have seen circumstances previously where and separatists and and literally gone after reporters and and killed them in moscow
2: brody we're gonna take a quick break right here but stay with us when we come back we'll continue our conversation and discussion with journalist brody live on what's happening in chechnya and gay concentration camps and i should add uh, torture of gay men so don't go away we'll be right back i think we're ready we're really doing this yeah i'm ready for our family Many nonprofits rely on events to raise money, create space for community gathering, and offer opportunities to network. But how many hours in a day do community leaders have when they're busy changing the world? Imagine your next event, gala, festival, or celebration professionally executed with creative ideas and ideals to match your community service. IDK is the community's trusted event production company. Visit idkevents.com for all your event production needs.
0: And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show.
2: Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining me here on this Tuesday. I'm Michelle Meow, your host. John Zipper of Commonwealth Club is here with us. Let's get back and straight into a conversation that we had right before the break with Brody Levesque, a journalist for the New Civil Rights uh, Movement. And Brody has been helping us navigate this concentra- uh, conversation of what's happening in Chechnya in the gay concentration camps. Brody, I, I want to throw this out there. I mean, you talked about responses uh, from around the world, mm. especially in the media, of yeah. what's happening here in Chechnya. And the Western media has an interesting response. Uh, and I, wa- I want to you know, talk about that and just kind of how we report things. We We may not always be what we think is in our best intentions. And there's some some conversations of it being overly exaggerated, by the way, and I think you know where I'm headed with this. There's certain Russian activists yeah, who say that uh, mm-hmm. the Western media is um, capitalizing on what's happening, which isn't necessarily helping if it is true that this concentration camp exists.
1: I, and, and, and again, you have to look at the the laywork of what's going on on the ground there, and that's kind of difficult. Um, BBC journalist Victoria Derbyshire uh, was one of the first journalists uh, to report on this story, and I spoke to her last week. She had talked to uh, Milashina, and he, she had told uh, Victoria at this point, we know about four secret prisons. Two of them are in the capital, Grosny, one of them in Argun. This is the first secret prison where we discovered that LGBT people were being detained, beaten, tortured, and killed. We got this information a few weeks ago and began to prove it. It's pretty hard in Chisney, especially to rescue LGBT people because there's such a very closed network. The region is very hard on those people, and they have to hide. Um, Derbyshire told me that, you know, in her conversations uh, with Milicina, she didn't feel as though. It was an exaggerated, uh, overhyped type of story. Uh, Nileshina was very matter-of-fact about it. I think the problem is, is that when you look at the Western press, they latch onto concentration camps, and, and, and that immediately brings back historically context scenarios involving, you know, the Holocaust and things like that. Um, and, and this is this is just it's different it, it's it's not the same thing it's still horrible it's onerous but it, it's it's not on that scale what it is though is something that the Western press needs to tune in on the fact that these people have no voice and and no existence a person in the Russian Federation and the Russian activists will tell you this the everyday folk are not going to by and large, run around and acknowledge themselves. They can't, right. particularly not in Chechnya. It's just not, I mean, gay bars, I, I did a story of when I was still at LGBTQ Nation about three years ago, um, the owner of a building in Moscow, which happened to be an holy ark and a friend of Putin's literally slapped a sign on the outside of a club with an arrow, I kid you not, neon sign that read in Russian Gay Club with a big arrow pointing at the door. And within a week of that happening, uh, the club was attacked. Not just once, but several times, including shootings outside the door. These people live in a constant sense of siege mentality. While it's important that we report the story, I think we need to be careful about it how we report the story. And I, I think that in any sense of sensationalizing it does not serve the purpose of being a good journalist. That's my take on it.
0: So what we're seeing so far, at least what I've been reading, is that this we're mm-hmm. talking about gay men who have been rounded up and, and imprisoned and tortured are, I assume, lesbians and certainly transgendered folks. I mean, any any non-conforming groups I would would assume are in trouble, but any idea why this is first focusing on gay men? Because I assume this is not the, the, uh, I don't, they're not going to stop there is what I'm suggesting.
1: Well, they won't and to the best of our knowledge, we've been able to verify that a couple of trans individuals have also been um, caught up in the sweep. Uh, Targeting for gay it goes back to uh, the context and an overall global view of religion. If you look at any particular the Abrahamic religions, the tip of the spear for their persecution has always traditionally been gay men. I'm not saying that they give lesbians a pass, but it's just that that seems to be a focal point. Um, and, and that really, that, that's centuries of that going on. So uh, targeting, I think, has to do also with visibility and it also has to do with the perceptions, particularly in that part of the world, as to what's masculine, what's not masculine, and what's acceptable and what's not acceptable, along with their rather bizarre, bizarre interpretations of their own religious text.
2: I want to, uh, you know, ask this this question, in which you know a lot of people, um, I mean Ellen, at this point, and 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 celebrities mm-hmm. have commented of what's happening in Chechnya, and that we need to be doing something um you talked about the importance of of of, you know responses from major people around the the especially political leaders right um what about america i mean here we started or we opened up the show talking about this presidency and what a challenge it's been to navigate this administration uh secretary of state rex tillerson was just um in russia um, and, I mean, if these guys were, and these guys I talk about, the, the United States' uh, government, the leadership, were to comment or to do something, especially like a President Donald Trump, could that have an impact?
1: I think that if the White House were to issue a statement, the Putin government might or might not pay attention. Uh, the thing that the Putin government tends to give more credence to, is the amount and volume of outrage versus specific sources. We saw that during the Olympic Games. We saw it when he invaded Ukraine. We saw it to a lesser degree uh, when he invaded uh, Georgia. So with Putin in particular, it seems that uh, more is better. Uh, And in terms of any kind of response, given the right now very poor relations between the united states and the russian federation i honestly don't think anything coming out of the white house would do any good and secretary tillerson did have an opportunity but he passed on it now the state department did issue a statement uh but it was you know it was pro forma. you you knew that was to be expected so and and unfortunately uh that doesn't have any real effect uh, when you ask about support Quite frankly, at this point, it's going to have to uh, shift back to the grassroots.
0: Yeah, uh, the U.S. ambassador to the United Nations, Nikki Haley, uh, has issued a bit more, a uh, bit stronger uh, statements on, against uh, what's going on in Chechnya. But, uh, mm-hmm. you know, she's not the one making policy in the White House. Unfortunately. Nope. Um, yeah. So what? I don't mean to ask you to read the minds of of the leaders of Chechnya, but what do we know of what the goal of this type of action is? I mean, are they really thinking they're going to find everyone they don't like and kill them, or are they hoping to just force them back underground, or do they want them to flee to another country? I mean, is there a, a goal to this?
1: I think that, you know, if you're asking me if they have an exit strategy, uh, judging from what we're seeing, I would say create a refugee situation. Unfortunately, that's going to give them problems with Moscow because the last thing Moscow wants is a group of, you know, immigrants who are LGBTQ suddenly, you know, in Russia's largest cities um, as migrants. Uh, The problem with extremists, and we have seen this time and time again, we, saw, we, we continue to see it with uh, Daesh or ISIS, as it's more commonly referred to as, uh, is that they maintain their control and their power through use of terror tactics and through use of intimidation. And in many ways, this is what we're seeing the Khadirov, uh government doing, you know, it's it's one of those situations where I'm not going to go and say yeah we, we, they would absolutely love to kill off every gay person I, I really honestly don't believe that uh, if that was the case there certainly would have been a lot more deaths than the five or six that we have been able to document right. um, I, I think it's intimidation you know, and, and in terms of pushing them back into the closet quite frankly these people already are really deep in the closet to begin with. Right. An outing in that region of the world is a life-altering event in terms of a life-threatening event. Right. You know, it's, it's, It doesn't hold the same connotations or context as the West. Um, we are beginning to see, and from the Russian uh, LGBT activists that I've been speaking with, they're already making efforts to try and get these people out. Last week, Out Magazine published a very fine What can I do to help. I'm curious, you know, I would advise your listeners to go to Out Magazine and take a look. There's a list of organizations there that could use your financial assistance to actually help these people out. That's in an aside. I mean, as far as, you know, what you just asked, you know, it's very hard. And no, I won't mind reading them, but given what I do know of governments like this, from the 35-odd years I've been a journalist, it's all about power control and maintaining, you know, that level of control. And let's face it, one of your soft targets for any authoritarian government has always been the LGBTQI community. Everybody's targeted them. You know, you have your specific groups, and then you've got the gay community, and they'll go after it. It's a soft target. It's easy, because they play off of the religious and societal-cultural revulsion Homosexuality, or people that are trans, or people that are queer, queer-identifying.
2: Brody, uh, sadly, we're up against time. I mean, I, I, I mm-hmm. love chatting with you, and thank you so much for joining us here on the show and spending some time with us. Any any last thoughts or words, you you know, just to wrap up this important conversation as we. Uh, What I really wanted to do for our listeners today was to verify, you know, some of these reports and also talk about the importance of understanding what it is that you're reading and who you're reading, you know, whatever sources you're reading from. So anything you want to say to wrap up our conversation?
1: I think that, you know, what your listeners have to understand is that this is not, you know, hashtag fake news. This is the real deal. These are real human beings that are being harmed. It's in a part of the world where unfortunately and sadly this does occur and that there are credible news sources out there that are beginning, especially in the Western press, that are beginning to report this and that if they see these reports from Novia and and some of the other publications in Europe, then it's the real deal. And thank you for inviting me on, by the way.
2: Brody Levesque, everyone. You can find him uh, by checking out some uh, some stories on New Civil Rights Movement. He's a journalist also if you Google him. Tons and tons of stuff there. Don't go away. When we come back, John Zipper and I continue the show
0: now, back to the Michelle Meow Show.
2: Welcome back. Thank you so much for joining us here on the program. Uh, I'm Michelle Meow, your host. John Zipper of Commonwealth Club is here with us. We spent the first half of the show just talking about what's happening in Chechnya, and I'm glad that we had uh, Brody Levesque on to talk about it because – you know, again, it wasn't like we were talking about a uh, human rights activist, quote unquote, from a large organization. Um, not that I think that what they do is bad, but when you've got an agenda, you obviously have a script. I really wanted to get to the heart of, you know, the real conversation that we should be having, which is what Brody said, that these are true uh, human you know, lives and what they're going through. We need to understand everything about the politics, the culture um what's sad to me though john is just kind of like there are those activists that we didn't necessarily touch on in the conversation with brody who have you know for for these true accounts and reports of gay men being tortured in chechnya and when i say that because they're so focused on you know the western media stealing the thunder and or overly exaggerating the tone i I still think that that doesn't do much and if you call yourself an activist um it's it, the the finger pointing has to stop at some point and we all need to work together in order to make this injustice go away if this is true this first concentration camp since the holocaust if if we don't do anything about it if nobody does anything about it it'll be the first of many types of concentration camps
0: sure um uh, when when we say concentration camps actually i think there have been others uh, There that they were uh, camps set up during the uh, Balkans War um, and, you know, you could argue what went on with uh, Maoist re-education camps and things like that. I mean, places where people were put, whether or not they were extermination camps is, is perhaps a, a different thing. Um, I, I am intrigued by what you're talking about, these activists who, you know, don't want the West to talk about this stuff eventually, well, essentially. what What do you think, do you think they, these activists that you're referring to, themselves don't believe this stuff is happening, or they accept that it's happening. They just don't want the 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 black eye to come, you know, on, on the Russian uh, public face. I'm I'm not sure what you think maybe I, is behind I it. I
2: think I think it's like redirecting the blame, and I think it's almost like acceptance of what's happening. You know, because in some of the Facebook posts that I've read from some of these Russian activists who were behind, you know, applying for the parade applications, the gay parade applications. I mean, they compare what's happening with Chechnya to what's happening with gays in Iran or ISIS and, you know, gays and throwing them off the roof and how Western media does nothing about that, but focuses, why are they so focused on what's happening in Chechnya, which almost seems like they're down, you know what I mean, like just downplaying what's happening in Chechnya. So I sense by reading that, I don't necessarily think anything other than uh, someone's just trying to divert blame here. Uh, It's okay to say, Hey, I feel so strongly about ensuring visibility in some of these, these tough places in a country like Russia, who's passed an anti LGBTQ propaganda bill. And, and you have such strong beliefs. Um, And okay to say, you know, that it may have caused or accidentally or inadvertently triggered these uh, anti-LGBTQ sentiments, which then rolled into these violent attacks. I mean, we know as LGBTQ people, even here in America, that's happened in our own history, right?
0: Yeah, I do think when you put some things in front of people's faces that they either thought didn't happen or thought only happened, you know, elsewhere— it does sometimes uh, trigger a, a very harsh reaction. What do you think, what do you make of that whole effort? Even taking aside literally what is happening in Chechnya and whether or not that directly goes back to, you know, this effort to apply for all these uh, the, the LGBT pride parades. Um, what do you make of that effort? Because when I f- first heard about that, I thought, I mean, even in Russia, I think I'd be keeping my head down and, and uh, you know, it. It's mm-hmm. a place where people have been kidnapped mm-hmm. and beaten and tortured and tortured on video and posted online.
2: You know, I've been having a lot of these public discussions lately as you know, board president of San Francisco Pride. Mm-hmm. And there's been so many voices from resistance groups, especially those who lived through the liberation movement and have gone through things like arrests or being beaten by the police and have lived to tell their stories and they feel strongly about organizing in this fashion and or way. Um, At the same time, I feel like they're, it's not like a disregard, but maybe just ignorance and innocence about not knowing or understanding the issues of intersectionality. So for example, if we're talking about the most marginalized in our communities and how they're impacted or affected by these methods of uh, activism, um, like, applying for a gay pride parade, knowing full well that it's not safe for uh, gay people to be visible in these places, you're not necessarily thinking about the most marginalized and who actually is going to be hurt and or impacted the most. So if you're someone of privilege that has the ability to get on a plane, like this one Russian activist that I keep referring to, and lay low in a country like Sweden, well, hey dude you're not exactly the gay guy being rounded up you're not exactly the gay guy doesn't have resources to go and um, fly away to Paris and that same thing applies here so that's what I mean by like full disregard it almost is is sickening to me in my stomach in which he's still trying to claim his innocence that it's not his fault by applying for these applications that that provoked any feelings of what what happens in Chechnya it is what it is and it's always been that way very anti-gay Um, and he's calling out all these like media, uh, rags, especially in the United States for using his photo and like all this stuff. I just want to let him know, like, I mean, at the end of the day, it's so petty and you're willing to call that out, but you're, you, you make no focus or call any attention to what's happening. Like true gay men are being tortured. Like that makes my stomach like sick. Uh, um. Anyway, I don't. we don't need to focus the entire show on what's happening in Chechnya, but in case, you know, for many of those who had been asking a lot of questions of what is exactly happening, it seems that it's catching fire and it's out there. And the best thing that we can do is stay vigilant and and stay focused and also do some homework. Don't just read the headlines and, and what Brody said, um, ha, you know, put a hashtag and think that you're doing anybody a favor. On that note, I want to move on to Um, You know, what we started to do here on the show, which was have John Zipper kind of walk us through what's happening politically. It's so important. John hosts his own show. It's the week-to-week political roundtable talk that airs here on the Michelle Miao Show Fridays, 4 o'clock California time. Uh, So, John, I mean— uh, yes, the country continues to try to navigate in this Trump presidency, so we can focus a little bit on that. But there's also, like, all kinds of crazy things happening, like the Facebook killer who, who we found out, I mean, he's 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 dead.
0: Yeah, the news today is that he was uh, tracked down through uh, a tip from a McDonald's parking lot, I guess. Someone saw him or his vehicle or both, and uh, there was a police chase, and he killed himself. Um one of the more bizarre stories of the year, and that's that saying a lot this year. Disturbing, you know, the the whole idea of someone just absolutely randomly, you know, killing someone.
2: Yes, and for those who don't know this story, um, uh, don't go look for the video. By the way, it's it's just sickening. But this gentleman, just I guess, triggered by a breakup from his ex girlfriend, went on a killing rampage and broadcasted, uh, he uh, went live on Facebook and killed some innocent people. Um, so as of yesterday he was at large, but this morning found dead in a parking lot. Uh, what I want to say to that is what I said on my Facebook post is just like, are we that, like, uh, do we think we're that invincible on social media? Is that what Facebook and social media has done to us that we think, like, we could just, be criminals and, and it's like a reality show and nothing's gonna happen to you
0: it's certainly not the first time someone has killed someone on Facebook live or you know sexual assaults and and, and other kinds of, of attacks um, what do you think you know Facebook is talking about reviewing how it you know can r- pull these videos off you know when they when they're when they hear about them I guess but do you think they have any responsibility to do something different or are they like a telephone company where if you call me and we plot something evil, they're just a phone company. They're just providing the uh, wires.
2: You know, I do. And the reason why I say that they do is because they actually have policies that all are shaped on how we behave on Facebook Mm -hmm. and they do touch on safety and it's not fair for them to sit there and create policies that benefits them in terms of our safety so for example they want our full identity our authentic identity if you will our full legal name if you're going to go that far to verify each and every user well then you know you've already crossed that line so i know you know what i'm posting i know you know what my behaviors are And, and there are there are signs, you know, you when you read somebody's Facebook post. And, and, and I will tell you, I'll be honest with you. I mean, I accept pretty much um, anyone that I I think is, like, a fan of the show or something. But as long as they're a human and not a bot, like, I'll accept them as a friend. And there have been posts where I'm just, like, concerned. You know, so I'm saying that it, it doesn't necessarily always just kind of um, randomly happen. Like, if you're monitoring our posts, you know. You know, if somebody's going through a mental change, or you know, they're not, they're in an unstable state. So, I don't think they're like a telephone company. A telephone company is just that—you're dialing out, and that's about it. They don't impose policies on how you dial out. They don't impose policies on who you're calling. Uh, you know, maybe, maybe <laughs> they've dropped and eavesdropped, the you know, here or there, if uh, there was a, a government action against you or whatnot. Um,
0: what do you think? Um, I think I basically agree. I, I'm not sure what they can do about someone who just snaps. And maybe they haven't, you know, I mean, and and you you can build in certain things like, I'm sure what they'll probably do is certain things like, well, they'll call on the other people who are using Facebook to flag things that are, you know, potentially dangerous. So then what's going to happen is, I mean, just think about all the ways that people have used. Uh, social media tools to hurt other people, and one of them is by, and I'm sure we would see then, you would have a large group of organized people who would, you know, all go on to Michelle Meow or Hillary Clinton or Ellen DeGeneres or whoever's website that they're, they're angry at that day, and they would all report it. So then that person's website, Facebook page, they would be taken down until it went through the adjudication process, you know, and boy, you could do that for a company when that company was rolling out a new service. And all I'm getting at is I have no idea how they would do it, but I do agree. I think they're not a telephone company.
2: One of the things, and then we can wrap on this and move into some other topics you'd want to discuss and share with us your thoughts, uh, is just a, I, I don't feel that they do a good enough job in keeping people safe and educating people on social media, especially outside of the United States. You know, and I say this because I notice in other countries, especially where Facebook is not as old as it is here in the United States, I mean, people are consuming it as if it they have. I get kind of nervous at some of the stuff that I read on other people's Facebook posts from around the world because I feel they're sharing just a little too much or a little too often, where it's almost like, I don't even want to know. I don't want to <laughs> know your deepest, darkest thoughts because it's impulsive, and I don't want that to shape what I think of you. But, yeah, you sound a little crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I mean, we all sound crazy when we're just sharing our inner thoughts all the time. Um, and at the same time, I really don't think that people around the world understand how that could negatively impact them in the future.
0: I think that's very well said. Yeah, I don't have anything to add to that. I, we, we've we all seen someone's posts on Facebook or Twitter or or other social media services where you're just like, oh, they, they should take that back. And maybe right. they don't even realize that they should take it back. But right. They should take it back.
2: I mean, there's so much that I could say about that. It's not even just, like, employers looking into, like, who your mind or your psyche. But imagine – Imagine your kids finally having access to a computer and going through your Facebook and reading every single thing.
0: Well, let's, I mean, let's take this into, let's connect this with something else that's happening in the news right now, which is the election or the vote in Turkey. So Turkey just voted. uh, uh, The monitors say it probably wasn't a clean vote, but there's a bare majority to change the constitution and make it a presidential system, give a lot more power to their already powerful uh, leader, Erdogan. And um, there, uh, this Turkey, like Russia, like Hungary, like a number of other countries that have elected these authoritarian-leaning p- people, populists in, in most cases, um, has been making it more and more difficult to be in the opposition or to even express that opposition. And Turkey has very strong laws about criticizing the president. They're like you know, criticizing the king in Thailand. Mm -hmm. It's it's literally a crime and a very serious one. And uh, I was reading the story, I think it was in the Financial Times a while ago, about, you know, someone saw a cartoon, you know, a comic cartoon um, that that poked fun at uh, President Erdogan, and he posted it on his private Facebook page, but one of his friends or relatives Mm -hmm. reported it to the government, and the guy, you know, has to go through 18 months of a trial and stuff like that. so certainly in countries where there are those sorts of repercussions I think people need to figure out they have to th- they have to think what they put online yes. much more than you know here where people can just kind of belch up whatever they want. Yes. But here I think people should think more about how what they post affects others and says about others. I mean hopefully people wouldn't say some of those things directly to someone. Well, why would you write it? Or it's going to be shared by, you know, <laughs> hundreds of thousands of people.
2: We might as well stay on this as we wind down the show and screw the last break. It's my show. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I'll run the ads when I want to. Uh, no, but I'm very, very thankful to Pacific Fertility <laughs> Center and Weatherford BMW <laughs> and IDK events. Uh, you've heard the messages before, and, and we're so grateful for their support of the show. But I feel that this is very, very important, and I'm making the executive decision to have this because I know that our listeners range in age. And, and, and this, th- th- in my opinion, the whole social media etiquette Like, the guys at Facebook and or Twitter, Snapchat, you design these things for us to behave a very specific and certain way. You know what are the best practices. You could go out there and you could educate people on, you might not want to say this because this might happen. We've seen it before. We have the experiences of having to take down people's pages or having to turn over their pages, you know, for these reasons. Um, and I know for a fact that like Facebook will say that's not on us. It should be on the parents or it should be on school systems or, you know, uh, uh, school districts or educators, maybe even the law enforcement and the police, um, in terms of teaching you safety. But no, I think it's the responsibility of the corporation, the people who actually created, you know, these products for us to consume. Hey, we're handing it over to you. The, the least that you can do is help keep us safe. Is all I'm trying to say. Um, you know, my partner, she is from Thailand, and in 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 where you know people are at with Facebook right now, I look at the number of friends that she has and the percentage of activity, and it's incredibly high compared to a person in the United States who has the same amount of friends um, and the percentage of activity from someone in the United States. And you know, the argument could be people in the United States are much more busy, maybe. I don't know. Uh, But, you know, I have to share with her things like now that, you know, we're partnered and I have a difference in opinion of how much I share on Facebook. It's like, no, I don't like checking in. I won't download Messenger. I don't want to share, you know, pictures of where we've gone to dine and and all this stuff or pictures of, uh, you know, every single little thing that we do. Yeah. And we have arguments over there where she's like, but that's how I've built my fan base in Asia. Uh, you know, they, these people in Asia are literally watching, they become fans of people who eat on YouTube professionally.
0: And some of the biggest stars in America are the Kardashians who are famous for yelling at each other on TV.
2: Ah." Uh dang it, I forgot about them and you had to bring them up. <laughs> um, anyway, just to wrap up this conversation, just think about what you're posting before you <laughs> post it, please. Like, because I care about you. I care about humanity. And Each I, and every you one know. of you. She's, yeah. re-
0: she's reading your Facebook posts. Every <laughs> single one.
2: Well, the other thing is, hi, you bring up, you know, how Facebook or social media has influence even political campaigns. Let's talk about the fact that fake news also impacted this most recent presidential election,
0: and in a number of ways. Not just in you know someone in Macedonia writing a story under a fake Facebook uh, account, you know, saying Hillary Clinton's being arrested tomorrow by the FBI, and that gets shared. But the other way is just the the troll armies, many of them paid, that will go in and you know comment negatively and viciously and attack. And they're not trying to convince. They're just trying to derail the conversation. So right. part of what I think people can do is not get into arguments with those types of people. Yeah. <laughs> you know, don't yeah. have those conversations. I, if, When I've had on Facebook, when I've had even some friends who just kind of start really sniping at each other, I'm just like, take this somewhere else, please.
2: <laughs> oh, that's the other thing is. I always I always wonder, you know, why people feel the need to like respond to other people's posts so strongly, like to invalidate them. Like, I, I mean, yeah, you know what? I'm going to call you out if you're one of those people. Like, you, you, uh, yeah. There's, there's time for something else more important. I promise you. <laughs> I promise you. Anyway, we're going to end on the Facebook conversation here because we have a few minutes left with John. So I want to make sure... We cover a few things since we won't hear from him until Friday. Just to remind you again, he hosts his own week-to-week political roundtable talk that airs here on the Michelle Miao Show, 4 o'clock California time. So, politically, kind of, what is going on? It's interesting because some people have gone really, really quiet, like Kellyanne or Steve Bannon. Where'd these people go? I thought they were, like, Trump's right-hand man.
0: Well, Steve Bannon, of course, has been uh, kind of... Downsized at the White House. Uh, I saw something yesterday that said he's basically accepted a reduced role there But uh, you know PJ O'Rourke the conservative Comedian humorist whatever satirist um, When he was at the Commonwealth Club recently he predicted that of all the people in this very volatile uh, Cabinet and and senior staff in in the Trump White House. He said he thinks Steve Bannon will be the first one to go and uh, at the t- when I heard, it, I was like, "What?" You know, I would expect Rex Tillerson, you know, the the invisible Secretary of State, or or uh, General Mattis, who just can't put up with the silliness anymore. But uh, you know, it looks like it might well be the case because I don't think Bannon's going to stick around if he has no power. And
2: I, I imagine him right now in the White House pouring himself some whiskey from some like crystal decanter
0: somewhere <laughs> I, I kind of suspect he does that all the time at the white house
2: yeah okay i have to ask this question and i've been dying to to ask it and lots of people have been talking about it but are we going to war i mean there's so to? much no well, well no have, i mean
0: you have your pick of them i
2: guess <laughs> so much talk about north korea these nuclear missiles this testing this and that and sean spicer uh, the uh press secretary at the White House has gone live to address some of these things um, but I'm still confused as to what exactly are we threatening um, and again you know I question everything that the president does when it comes to well when it comes to everything but what what are your thoughts about all of this stuff in the world that's happening and China
0: (laughs) (laughs) okay so for the next three hours let's talk about all of these things in the world and China um I think they're very, uh, very dangerous. Um, You know, with, uh, let's just use the terms kind of normal and and abnormal, with a normal presidential administration, Republican or Democrat, liberal, conservative, moderate, whatever, if, when they start kind of doing that, that uh, bullying, uh, hey, hey, you know, look, we've got really big guns, you better calm down sort of thing to uh, some opponent internationally, there's, you usually at least know that they know what their their red line is, where they won't go over it. And I'm afraid no one knows what the red lines are for the United States uh, and North Korea because what are we actually asking them to do? Suddenly give up all of the nukes? They've re- absolutely refused to do that. And, and it's, you know, unre- I certainly wish they would, but, I mean, it's unlikely that, that uh, they, they ever would give it up. So I, it's one of those things where even throughout the Cold War, all those potential times when it very nearly came to nuclear war you know in the early 80s i guess there was a a point where russia uh, the soviet union and the united states nearly came to blows Um, both countries had a rational basis of what they were going to do and not do and and wanted to avoid that Um, i don't think the trump administration perhaps understands north korea that's going to cause Mm -hmm. miscalculations and North Korea's leaders are very, very isolated and very, very uh, ill-informed might be a great way of saying uh, how they understand the outside world. So you've got two groups who don't understand each other, both of them being very blustery. Um, You mentioned China. China might be the salvation in there because China does not want a war on its doorstep, and they do not want U.S. troops on its doorstep.
2: And then I want to cue music from the Armageddon soundtrack just about now to say thank you so much for joining us here on this Tuesday for this very important conversation of what's happening in Chechnya. Like I said earlier, if we're not paying attention, we're not getting our information right, and we allow for this concentration camp and or gay torture to happen, well, what else can happen? You know, There's so much more that can happen, and you obviously understand that this administration isn't necessarily focused and or prioritizing human life. Um, So, we've got to do more. John Zipper hosts his own week-to-week political roundtable talk here on the Michelle Miao Show Fridays, 4 o'clock California time, so make sure you catch it. For everything else, head to MichelleMiao.com.